I can just sense when a film studio or a TV studio is thinking experientially. In that vein of busting a door open, let's get in the room, let's talk about these projects, let's concoct something large scale and amazing. It was so wild and so confident as just a piece of culture. I take these shows or movies and I am able to turn them into a large scale experience. I worked on four activations for Amazon Studios and these four went up at San Diego Comic-Con. You're lucky when you find those executives who are like, yes, let's just do it. And then you have a much easier time creating it because the person within the major company who's producing it with you, they have your back. They just end up having the same thirst that you do, that, that lightning bolt that you do to go, oh my God, let's make this, you know? Like, yes, there's a large budget involved. Yes, it's a risk, but let's try it. Like we are in an age of new storytelling. Hi, I'm Nathaniel Skye, the host of the Immersion Nation podcast. Here, the masters of immersive experience create and conjure, muse and imagine the cultural revolution that is unfolding before us. That is immersive entertainment. Welcome. So my name is Ross Tippograph. We all have our superpowers. The set of unique experiences we have that make us uniquely suited for specific things. I am a few things like many people in this sort of experiential immersive world. Often our superpowers come from the combination of many different skills. So I work in theater and I work in marketing, both in the experiential sphere. Now in our world, the world of immersive entertainment, theater and marketing may seem like an obvious combination. But Ross is a perfect example of the way in which these skill sets can come together to become greater than the sum of their parts. Theater and marketing, at their core, have one essential but elusive thing in common. Connection. In the next two episodes, we talk about how the combination of these two abilities led Ross Tippograph to found eight players, work on four experiences for Amazon Studios, work with the experiential marketing powerhouse Giant Spoon, and to represent the experiential and immersive worlds on the Forbes 30 under 30 list in 2020. Enjoy. Ross, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sky. And I will call you Sky, your more creative name, as opposed <laughs> to uh, assuming that your name is Nathaniel, because we are in a very creative space at this moment. I'm happy to be here. That we are, that we are. Well, thank you so much <laughs> for coming on. So Good. just to jump right in to the first question there, um, if you could choose a particular fictional or fantasy world of some variety that you would want to live in or spend some time in, what comes to mind? I love that question. I really do. Uh, I feel like I and many people who are in this world probably have a million answers for that, right? Because they grew up as kids worshiping some sort of genre or, or favorite movie or some sort of like fantasy world they always wanted to live in. Uh, I would have to say I'm going to go with a really niche answer, and it's very recent. My very niche answer is uh, last year, HBO put out an incredible miniseries called Sharp Objects that was produced by Blumhouse, who made Get Out, amongst many other people. It had the filmmaker behind Big Little Lies doing it, and it was an unbelievable Southern Gothic, like eight-episode max miniseries with Amy Adams and Patricia Clarkson, and it was this Southern Gothic wonderland, one of those female-centric psycho-thrillers set in, like, rural America. And it hit me so hard atmospherically that I would desperately love to live in that world. I know that's like an unbelievably niche answer, but that's where my mind is going. Oh, that is absolutely fantastic. That is absolutely great. fantastic. Um, 
because we will wrap back around to that um, towards the midpoint of the show and uh, talk about what it might look like to create an immersive experience in that world. And actually, there's a little bit of counterpoint because um, there is a production company in Chicago that just did a show called Southern Gothic. And so we might have some. Uh, oh, some... right. Is that the Windy City Playhouse? Yeah, yeah. Yes, I'm aware of their work. That is great. Amy Rubenstein, I think, is their um, their point person. I've read about her. That's great. Yeah, yeah, she's fantastic. Um, so moving from there, uh, oh, you left me curious the other day. Um, so I have to ask, uh, we're recording on this lovely Friday afternoon, but we were scheduled from Tuesday. Um, you said that you would mention uh, what the middle of your week wound up being filled up by. You are right. Wait, when was this? Now I need to like check my planner. <laughs> I have like a paper planner where I write like my to-dos down. I'm the, I'm crazy. I don't like use my, I use my iPhone for notes and for a lot of communication, but I don't use my iPhone for like major things I have to do that I have to like look at first thing in the morning. I write them all down. So now I'm forgetting what my Tuesday was. Uh, you know what? It was probably related to, and this is like a very kind of gross uh uh, <laughs> accomplishment dropping moment, I suppose. I do not intend it to be, but I think this is what my Tuesday was. Uh, so about a week ago, I was named on Forbes 30 under 30 list, specifically for marketing, sort of recognizing my work in theater and in marketing. And I had to suddenly prepare for like an event on Wednesday night that I didn't know if I was going to go to. And there were uh, relating to that, that list. So I think Tuesday was filled with like some research or like looking up other people who were like on the list with me. And I just sort of wanted to like get my ducks in a row sort of. Um, and I think that's what it was. I believe that's what Tuesday was. Um, but if I run up and check my planner at any point during this interview, I may correct that. <laughs> but I think right that's on. what it was. Yeah. And I figured it might be something like that. And of course, just want to say again, congratulations. Incredibly Thank excited you. to see you and immersive represented um, on the Forbes 30 under 30 there. That is absolutely fantastic. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. It kind of caught me by surprise. It was awesome. I'm still a little bit in shock and uh, I've already met some great people through it. So know anyone listening that that is actually a wonderful group of people who are pushing their industries. Uh, anyone who gets named to that is really someone to sort of get to know. So I'm excited to meet a lot of those people. And then uh, I am excited to represent immersive and experiential from it because I think that those words can gain more specificity and traction to investors in that area. And then a lot of creators, including anyone who's listening to this, I, I like to think that with each of these moments, you know, like someone from the experiential or immersive community gets recognized, it helps everyone, which is what I want because it, it brings more attention to how unusual and how honestly commercial and profitable for, you know, investors and the people who help us make these things. Um, it, it brings a really nice spotlight to that. So I'm, I'm happy about that. I was surprised. Most definitely. And yeah, the, the rising tide raises all boats um, or yeah. whatever, whatever that is, word for word. Um, so jumping back on the timeline, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, you've been, quote, obsessed with uh, film, TV, haunts, et cetera, for a long, long time. Um, mm -hmm. Is there an experience or something you grew up around that kind of bred the love you have for experience design? That is wonderful. I can name probably uh, two or one of them just fell out of my head, but I can name probably two or three different instances where that happened. So I'd say uh, one of them was the movie Scream. Do you know this film? Yes, yes. I'm familiar with it. <laughs> I have not seen it, oddly enough. 
Whoa. Okay, that's fine. Not everyone is a horror fanatic like I am. So, I mean, basically, it's this 1996 teen slasher movie, which is completely campy, but also, like, very self-aware and lovable. And I saw it when I was six on VHS, or maybe when I was, like, eight, it came out on VHS in 1998. I don't know. Whenever it came out on VHS, that's when I saw it. I was not a six-year-old who saw the movie in theaters. That would be disgusting. But I saw it, and it's, like, this very R-rated, very crazy, like, fantasia of, like, 90s culture. And it kicked off a whole genre of new horror movies and then you had all these blockbuster horror movies in the 2000s, and now you have things like Get Out winning an Oscar and It breaking box office records. So Scream really kicked off the new horror genre after it kind of died in the late 80s, early 90s, when you had Friday the 13th, The Nightmare on Elm Street, all of these series, you know, faded away. So anyway, Scream to me was an inspiration because it was so wild and so confident as just a piece of culture that it made me want to get into entertainment. I remember even when I was six or eight, whenever the hell I saw this, I was just fascinated by it. It was just so flashy and nuts, and I wanted to be doing things similar to that. So uh, another thing was when I was a kid, I also went to a lot of amusement parks and you know, as many Broadway shows as I could beg my family to take me to. I grew up right outside of New York, so Broadway happened to be close. But if we had like a rare vacation and it was Florida or, or California or something visiting family, I would beg to go to like Disney World. And one of the major things that I was affected by was the haunted mansion ride at uh i believe it was disney world in florida and it blew my mind because it was this you know this dark ride you're basically on a monorail the whole time you know you don't have agency but it was beautifully creative i loved it it had a really gothic sense of humor like tim burton movies which i was also obsessed with as a kid and it was just great i I loved every piece of it and i i'm staring at two books on my bookshelf right now one is the Haunted Mansion, Coling, Imagineering, a Disney classic, uh, which was put out by Disney, and it just gives you this behind-the-scenes peek at all the different haunted mansions that were created throughout the different Disney theme parks. And then another one I have, which is like a really cheap, low-budget book, says, How to Operate a Financially Successful Haunted House, put out by a company named Morris Costumes. And I want to thank Morris Costumes, which could be some costume store in some town in, like, Idaho. I want to thank them for putting out this book because it actually is a really nice, like, uh, room by room dissection of like 80 different rooms you could put in a haunted house. So basically, between things like Scream, you know, seeing movies from a young age that like kickstarted my desire to get into entertainment and entertain people, and going to live events like the Haunted Mansion and reading books about it, I think that I was able to sort of turn these things into kind of like a, a business or a career. And I got very excited to be able to create live interactive, immersive entertainment. So those were two of my earliest inspirations, I think. And then speaking to you starting to create in the interactive genre, it seems like there was something of a turning point for you in 2013. Yes. So I'd say, so I graduated uh, college in 2012. I went to Emerson College in Boston, which was a great school. Honestly, I had a great time. I'm one of the, I'm truly a nerd where I enjoyed my college experience. (laughs) I know a lot of people who are like, oh, like, you know, whatever school they went to, they love to sort of bitch about it. Excuse my language. Like, you know, but I think that that's taking these things for granted. You know, we, (laughs) these, these schools are not cheap and we go to them because we want to get really good at whatever our skill is. And we're so lucky that we get to 
I know I'm being very earnest right now, but we are very lucky to be able to have that opportunity. You know, we, we live in America. We have these, these schools that can offer us um, a great chance at learning more about ourselves and, you know, getting into the business of what we want to do. And Emerson was a really great training ground for me in that regard. So while I was at Emerson, I was actually studying screenwriting for film and TV because I thought I was going to get into making movies and TV because I didn't right, really right. imagine, I didn't imagine the possibility of having a steadily financial, you know, financially steady or, or economically sustainable career in live entertainment. Just from what I was coming from, it, it was, you know, the only thing I could imagine was like Disney Imagineers and everyone who I pictured as a kid becoming Imagineers were like, you know, these 50 year old, you know, old white men who, <laughs> that is not a diss to Imagineers. I love them. But when I was a kid, the only ones I knew that existed were like these old, you know, older straight white men who to me just seemed decades beyond me in experience. And I was like, how am I ever going to reach that level? They are amazing. So as a kid, I was like, okay, I'm going to get into movies and TV. So I went to Emerson. While I was at Emerson studying film and TV writing, I got bit by a bug. So basically 2009 Sleep No More in Boston was the first really large scale, economically successful uh, East Coast, I guess you could call it, uh, you know, themed entertainment or live experience, whatever word I would attribute to it back then. That was the first one where I was like, whoa, okay, you can you can be an artist and you can be part of a, uh, you know, an immersive type thing that has legs, you know, that has, uh, it could run for months, it could run for years, and it doesn't have to be in Disneyland. These things can pop up in any city. So that was really exciting to experience. Uh, so I saw that while I was at Emerson and I got bit by the bug that I could actually try and make a career track out of live entertainment. So, uh, you know, I'm still at Emerson, I'm taking these classes, but then I created this concept, this thing called eight players, which I really conceived at Emerson before 2012. And then I officially like founded it in 2013 and really started making it a, a serious business. And it's, you know, the, the, the briefest, um, run of show for eight players, which I thought of while I was at Emerson, is this idea where you, uh, you sign up for this unknown social experience that you know is going to group you with like-minded strangers, and you can only sign up alone, or you can sign up with one other person. You don't exactly, you know, your, your, your lover, your partner, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your best friend, you two don't know exactly what you're entering, except for the fact that you're going to have to interact with a lot of strangers in some sort of cinema-inspired world, and there's going to be a lot of dialogue and movement, etc. Darkness, comedy... So you go, uh, before you go, of course, you receive a, a character-specific log line of someone who you're going to fall into the role of and maybe a hint of the world you're going to fall into. You have to dress like that person, conceive your own costume concept. I love giving people the agency to get creative on their own. You show up at a street corner on this random night. You are inducted into the venue over a series of a very intense 90 minutes, facilitated by actors, comedians, and various performers, you quote, quote, star in this movie. So you're basically participating in a live movie and over a series of rooms, there's act one, act two, and act three, you receive information that you know about yourself, that you know about the other characters through a very controlled, I'd call it debate. These things are revealed, information is unraveled, and by the end of it, you have the choice there's a, there's a twist at the end where you can either socialize with these people in the real world. And, you know, basically like there's a common ground area where you can uh, interact with them without your aliases and go, Oh my God, you were so funny. You know, you shake each other's hands. Some people have dated out of eight players. It's wonderful. Uh, or you can choose in a very specific way to not meet these people and remember the night as only a night of total fantasy. So you really lived out a live movie. 
So I got hit by a lightning bolt while I was at Emerson after I saw, you know, things like Sleeping More being financially successful, that you can make these things, that these can be a show that people will buy tickets to and they will have hopefully an amazing time and it will have legs to go for months or years. So I thought of that at eight players and then I moved to LA in 2013 to, I thought of that at Emerson, excuse me. And then I moved to LA in 2013 with some film work and I started testing out eight players as a concept and beta testing it. And then eventually it luckily took off, which is lovely. And I'm very grateful for. Fantastic. So that was, that was the introduction. That was the, uh, the lightning bolt that struck. Um, so jumping ahead on the timeline a little bit now, uh, you spoke on the panel at Epic Immersive's New York Immersive Night back in August. Something you mentioned that night that stood out to me was the advice you gave to new immersive creators being, uh, I believe your words were, sometimes it takes busting open a door. And yes. um, you followed that up by expressing basically finding the executive who's crazy enough to fall in love with your crazy idea. So is this something you have a little bit of direct experience with? Yes. So I guess the idea is, well, I, I, uh, I wonder how much I can talk about them. So basically, I'm, I'm fortunate to be in this situation right now, and I'm excited to eventually evolve a lot of the immersive theater communities, creators, writers, directors, actors. You know, I've already worked with many of these people, but I haven't been able to do it from sort of like a, a really high up producerial way. So luckily, uh, I happen to have a, a great manager and a great agent who are able to connect me to a lot of these, uh, I can just sense when a film studio or a TV studio is thinking experientially. And in, in that vein of busting a door open, I just say, let's get in the room. Let's talk about these projects. Let's concoct something large scale and amazing. And, you know, I'm able to essentially walk them through a lot of case studies to tell them where these things are coming from creatively, what it would look like. And often it's based on some sort of IP that their film or TV studio uh, is doing so, or, or has put out some sort of franchise they produced or a TV show they've made or something that's won awards or something that's got a great critical acclaim. I take these shows or movies and I am able to turn them into a large scale experience and commercially they could be long running. They can go for months. They can go for years. They can pop up in any city. So on that note of the executives who I've become friends with, there, I guess when I was a kid, you know, you were always kind of intimidated. So anyone who wants to get into movies or TV, there was this intimidation that you have to get over of, ooh, like the word agent or the word manager. You know, these, these things have such power and executive. Like these things were just very flashy terms that as a kid, you, you didn't have any real understanding of what they do, except that they just seemed powerful and kind of scary, to be honest. And I think anyone who entered entertainment at any point could hopefully agree to that. I hope I don't sound crazy and alone in that regard. But, you know, as a kid, it all seemed very intimidating. People love to use the word Hollywood. You know, I never use that word. It's, it's, it's very, you know, these are like just buzzwords, basically. So once you really get to know these people and you, you learn about their jobs and you talk about the creative work, they just end up having the same thirst that you do, that, that lightning bolt that you do to go, oh, my God, let's make this. You know, like, yes, there's a large budget involved. And yes, it's a risk, but let's try it. Like, we are in an age of new storytelling. It's just very inspiring to find those same people uh, in, in areas, you know, very, very commercial or, or very, very, what's the word, corporate um, areas that you, that you might work in as an immersive theater creator or as an experiential marketing writer, director, producer like me and a bunch of other people. 
you're lucky when you find those executives who are like, yes, let's just do it. And then you have a much easier time creating it because the person within the major company who's producing it with you, they have your back. So that feels really good. And I hope that a lot of other people can find that as well. Yeah, yeah. And I like that you keep coming back to the word lightning bolt there too because really that's what it is. These experiences are definitely electric in so many ways. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So actually... Now might be a particularly excellent time to segue into the Make It Immersive segment. Uh, are, you, are you down to jump into, into some brainstorming? Yes, I'm ready. Let's do it. Awesome. So if you were creating in a Southern Gothic world, no hold barred, what would you want to create? What kind of experience would you want to extend to people? Well, I, um, thank you for that. And on that note, I actually wouldn't just make it a Southern Gothic world. I would want it to be very explicitly the IP-based world of HBO's Sharp Objects. So it would be a 2018 set, uh, Missouri, uh, horrifically tense psychological mystery where you would be playing, audiences would jump into a role that's similar to the one that Amy Adams did, where it's this idea where you are, you're given a little bit of backstory. Maybe you're even sent a hilariously specific costume, you know, like a raggedy sweater, tattered blue jeans, uh, a water bottle filled with um, <laughs> vodka, because that's what her character would do in the, in the, in the show. So you make it very specific. You really want to bring people into the, all the little traits. You want to check off all the little boxes that the things that the, the TV show made uh, people freak out, all these little details and all the critics loved it. And I think it got a bunch of Emmy nominations. I forget if it won. It might have won for Best Supporting Actress for Patricia Clarkson. I can't remember, which is crazy because I'm such an awards person. Uh, but anyway, so you would want to hit all the notes that all of the audience, the TV audience loved in the live experience version. Because then they go, ooh, those details. You know, the people who made this know what they're doing. And they just feel better as an audience member in the experience. They feel like they're being catered to. So the role-playing aspect, one, would have all those details, and you would arrive, maybe you have to physically drive your own car to this town, and it would be a full town that is decked out, you know, kind of like Giant Spoon's Westworld 2018 at South by Southwest experience style. It'd be this whole town that is decked out with streets you can walk down of kind of these old deserted stores, like this this, this small town that just like hasn't seen life in, in a decade at least. Uh, and you can visit all these, you know, rich Southern people's homes, which are these mansions covered in ivy and are crumbling. And you walk in and there's marble floors and these massive staircases and it would just be this whole world that you can explore and it would be very free roaming where there would be, it would be scary. It would be a very charged atmosphere because you would hardly see any actors except maybe like, you know, a block away, some little girl giggling on a bicycle. Or if you're walking through this mansion, you know, you hear someone playing piano, but you don't know where that's coming from and you have to go to the room to find it. And the plot would be that you have to explore this town because you're this reporter who is investigating the mystery of these as the, the book it's based on by Gillian Flynn and the TV show that was made on HBO both specify there was this, there has been a series of murders, like two murders of young girls, which is very horrific. And you're basically interviewing people in the town to try to find out, you know, why did these girls die? Who, who would want such a heinous crime to have happened? And how many people in the town secretly knew about it or were connected to it? So this could be like a overnight like weekend long if not like full week long or if we had the budget year long experience where you are living in this town you know maybe you're staying in a crappy motel or you have to stay with your mom like amy adams character does 
but you're living in this town and you have to every single day get up and put the pieces together. And then, of course, by interacting with the proper actors, you would unlock the uh, proper world. You know, you would, you would unlock all the mysteries that are, are being hidden away by the writers of this experience. And eventually there'd be some sort of intense climactic moment where you confront the killer and maybe it's like you, you nearly get killed by them. Of course, you know, this is a theatrical experience, so it is no audience members would get harmed. But you'd be in the, in the, the, the thrilling position of like Jodie Foster at the end of Silence and the Lambs, Silence of the Lambs, where... You have to like go through this dark space and confront a killer. Of course, they would be apprehended, happy ending, and you would get to live a happy life. And then you'd be like released from this experience as this cinematic world that you fully lived in. <laughs> so I think that's what I imagine for uh, if we made this immersive, that's what it would be. <laughs> so that is a very well fleshed out concept. Um, I, I really like the idea of having the introduction to the town being very very quiet almost abandoned insofar yeah. as it puts the participant in the position of knowing that it is their role to explore to go find and unlock as opposed mm-hmm. to kind of trying to get them to engage by the time they're there they know if they want to dig into the mystery of their surroundings they have to go find it they have to go get it yes i believe in that i believe in the i call it a quote quote charged atmosphere you know what i mean by that yeah yeah so it's this idea where like you walk into an area and it seems abandoned and it's kind of terrifying because there are a lot of immersive theater shows that love to just like throw the actors at you and i i I think it can be awkward where like you're you have all these performers who (laughs) immediately i'm always wondering like um what other shows have these actors done how much are they being paid (laughs) are they do they have happy working conditions like my brain immediately goes like as a producer or as a director, like I'm just thinking about like their, their, their safety and their happiness. Cause these things are very important to me. So a lot of, you know, let's say you're just a normal audience member though. And a lot of actors just like jump at you uh, because that's, you know, you let's you walk into like a 1930s themed bar or it's a cold war themed experience, or, you know, it's a 1970s, whatever it is, it's, uh, you know, the actors like run at you and they, they start like just throwing plot points and it just feels very forced. So I'm actually much more along the lines of if I'm going to make like a dramatic or a thriller experience, that's like not very comedic at all. You want to let audience members like sit in their anxiety and explore this world as if it's theirs. And is that scary? You know, you're reminded of all those moments of like when you were a kid and I don't know, you were like in like a, a, some sort of, creepy let's say you're like at school you know and it's like all the kids have gone home it's like four or five p.m like you stayed late to like i don't know work on an assignment or be in the library and it's just creepy being in these like abandoned um areas that are usually filled with people and you have to go and find out you know why is this abandoned what is happening it's your own anxiety fills it in and the audience member does like half the work i think it's i think it's a cool idea yeah, most definitely. So actually, out of curiosity, like insofar as the idea, it seems like you really like creating for smaller audiences um, when you have the opportunity to do so. Um, how does that function from the logistical end of things insofar as is that then figured out insofar as just making sure that you can have a small group go through relatively quickly and then do multiple small groups or how does that work out? I guess there's a few different scenarios. I can use two things as examples. So one, I can use A players as an example, first of all. So there is the version of A players that is literally just eight ticket buyers per performance, and they are in their own isolated space. And and it's kind of like, 
they arrive at the venue and that venue is theirs for, for, you know, the whole night for, or just for the whole, you know, 90 minute duration, uh, plus, you know, the obligatory venue prep and, you know, venue, uh, deconstruction or cleanup, whatever you want to call it. So I would say that that's a version where intimacy is prized and you don't want them to know that there's, you know, anyone waiting next. You don't want them to know that there is, you know, another group in the room before them because it's, it involves so much concentration. You know, these ticket buyers are getting an, an immense amount of information that they have to be using while they're in there. And it's kind of like, you don't want them to feel that they're being rushed. So that's important for that kind of experience. Uh, I'll, another example I can use is this summer, actually, I did four, I worked on four activations uh, for Amazon Studios and these four went up at uh, San Diego Comic-Con, uh, which was cool. It was the 50th Comic-Con. It was very cool to do that at that event. So for these four experiences, I can use one of them as an example. One was for this Orlando Bloom TV show that's on Amazon right now called Carnival Row, and it's very fantastical, romantic, etc. It's like an, a, a vaguely 1700s uh supernatural romance so basically what it was was there was three different rooms in the experience and the what we did there was basically at one point we thought uh maybe we would do like one group is in room one and then when that group gets to room two you have another group entering room one so everyone is on their heels we didn't end up going with that concept we ended up just going with the idea of like okay we're just going to have like you know 25 to 30 people in the whole experience at once, you know, all three rooms are theirs. And then once they're done, we quickly clean up and then we inv- invite the next group in. So that's the version where it's like the group is on the tail of another group. I'd say that's a good way logistically. Either you do the eight players version where they own the venue for the whole night or you do the, the Amazon Prime Comic-Con Carnival Row version where they are, uh, there's another group on your heels. I'd say it works logistically in either scenario. Again, sometimes it takes busting open a door, but there's a certain kind of finesse necessary for even this approach. Are you busting open that door for you, or are you opening that door for the person on the other side? Again, this combination of marketing and theater skills works not just in the course of a creative process, but in enabling that creation to be imagined and understood by those who can help take it there. By those who need to see this thing come to life as much or more than you do. Next week, we dive into how this kind of applied connection comes into play on the ground when creating an immersive work, and how Ross would prepare someone on a tight timeline to make an immersive experience. Oh, and one brief thing before you go. If you happen to know anyone who works in theater or live events, would you consider telling them about the Immersion Nation podcast? If you're listening right now, you probably at least suspect that immersive entertainment is going to significantly change the kind of things we think about doing on a Friday night. And for your friends, family, and colleagues that make their living on or around live entertainment, having a way to stay up to date with this inevitably disruptive wave that is immersive experience could realistically give them a meaningful edge in what they do. And of course, if you're listening, they would be in excellent company. Thanks, everyone. I hope you have a fantastic Friday.